0: first shall be last, and our eyes are open and we'll hear like never before and we'll speak in new ways and we'll see God's face in places we've never known Open my Help me to see your face. Open my eyes Lord. Help me to see Open my ears
1: Lord. This is Sunday, april fifteenth, twenty eighteen. It is the third Sunday of Easter. Last night, a freak April winter storm descended upon the Twin Cities, forcing many congregations, including Richfield United Methodist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, to cancel Sunday worship services. This podcast is an alternative worship experience for those who desire to listen. Today's music comes from Helena Bushema and Leslie Smith off their album, How Can I Keep From Singing? Now, let us begin this time of worship. let us pray. Holy and righteous God, you are the author of life. You adapt us to be your children. Fill us with your words of life, so that we may live as witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.
0: I live with thee Deep in your heart, oh love, I live within you, rest now in
1: Today's reading comes from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19a Saul encounters the risen Jesus. Meanwhile, Saul was still spewing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest, seeking letters to the synagogues in Damascus. If he found persons who belonged to the way, whether men or women, these letters would authorize him to take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. During the journey, As he approached Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven encircled him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice asking him, Saul, Saul, why are you harassing me? Saul asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are harassing, came the reply. Now get up and enter the city. You will be told what you must do. Those traveling with him stood there speechless. They heard the voice but saw no one. After they picked up Saul from the ground, he opened his eyes, but he could not see. So they led him by hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and neither ate nor drank anything. In Damascus there was a certain disciple named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision. Ananias, he answered, Yes, Lord. The Lord instructed him, Go to Judas' house on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias enter and put his hands on him to restore his sight. Ananias countered, Lord, I have heard many reports about this man. People say he has done horrible things to your holy people in Jerusalem. He here with authority from the chief priests to arrest everyone who calls on your name. The Lord replied, Go. This man is the agent I have chosen to carry my name before Gentiles kings and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Ananias went to the house. He placed his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord sent me. Jesus, who appeared to you on the way as you were coming here, he sent me so that you could see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, flakes fell from Saul's eye and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. After eating, he regained his strength. <music> Crisis is defined as an unstable or crucial time or state of affairs in which a decisive change is impending, one with a distinct possibility of a highly undesirable outcome. Perhaps when the word is spoken, the older generation will think about the Cuban Missile Crisis. Unfortunately, the younger generation probably just adopted their own Missile Crisis, the Syrian Missile Crisis. We are no strangers to national or personal experiences of crisis. However, to my friend Daniel, his crisis happened on a cold January morning in Williston, North Dakota. He had been sleeping in his bed, trying to forget his condition but a knock on the door woke him up from his hiding place. His wife entered the room and said, Get up. The sheriff's department is here to arrest you. Felonies are never the kind of activity which enhances a marriage. It creates a crisis of relationship. But this wasn't the only relationship in crisis for Daniel. He was also the pastor of a local Lutheran congregation. The actions of the sheriff's department at his door were going to expose the lies The lies he had been telling his wife, his congregation, and himself. Addicts lie. It is necessary to keep their addiction alive. Daniel's addiction began with alcohol. He drank until his stomach bled. Then he discovered a more efficient source of addiction, opiates. There were no glass bottles or cans to hide, and it didn't make his stomach bleed. The one caveat, it was harder to access. He needed a prescription, and when a prescription could not be secured, he found himself breaking into houses and stealing as an alternative supply source. It's what led the good reverend to commit felony trespass. Police found him in a drug-induced stupor in the living room of some stranger's house. Shortly after the officers visited his house, Daniel found himself alone in a jail cell. Funniest thing, when Daniel was free and walking about in the world... He was blind to his self-inflicted destruction and the impact of it on his family, the church, and the community. Not until he was locked in a 10 by 10 cell with one small window looking at a blank wall did he begin to see. In a way, it was just like Saul in our story. Saul didn't begin to see until his sight was restricted. That first moment in the jail cell was Daniel's crisis. That unstable, crucial time in which a decisive change was impending, one with a distinct possibility of a highly undesirable outcome. Actually, Daniel could only see an undesirable outcome embarrassment, humiliation, unemployment, divorce, or shame. The list could continue. It didn't matter. Daniel thought his life was over, and in a way, it was. Despite being a spiritual leader and a man of the cloth, he did not trust Christ had a future purpose for him. Heidi's crisis was different. Her faith was on fire. God was calling her out into God's world to be a proclaimer of the truth, a beacon of hope, a minister of word and sacrament. She entered the call process with an open heart. and God has a way of finding those types of receptive souls. I'm not sure what was going through Pastor Heidi's mind when she was called to serve a congregation in New York City. A type of assignment to the outside world may sound chic, hip, cosmopolitan. But Pastor Heidi's call was to a small congregation in the South Bronx, two miles from Yankee Stadium and the house that Ruth built. Her building, though, was built by Puerto Rican immigrants who left their Caribbean island at the turn of the century for a life of prosperity on the U.S. mainland. It had prospered for many years, but political forces of the big New York machine destroyed this once family-rich neighborhood. Left in the Wake was one of the most violent neighborhoods in the United States. Crack vials and syringes littered the sidewalks of the street outside, remnants of the evening's activities and the reality of her calling. The church was a favorite place to get high, but not in a spiritual sense. Gunshots were familiar sounds, along with police sirens and broken glass. When Heidi first went to Transfiguration Lutheran Church, the doors were triple locked. The windows were covered in fencing, and despite all of those security measures, it was still a place often burglarized by what seemed like anyone who wanted to. Following the Call of God Pastor Heidi found herself serving a dying congregation with little money and a bleak and violent future. But Heidi, like Ananias in our story, followed God, trusting that God had a future purpose for her, for Transfiguration Church, for the South Bronx neighborhood, and for the whole community of God, despite the obvious threats to her own personal safety. Pastor Heidi did what Ananias did in our story. She walked into a violent setting and placed her hands upon the building, the people, and started a healing process. Every night, kids from the neighborhood graffitied the church doors. Instead of fighting the battle, she got those same kids to paint the gospel story of the week on the doors of the church. When she realized kids needed to get out of the neighborhood to have a chance, she sent them to camp. Instead of hiding in her office, she engaged the neighborhood. Her crisis became a transformation for herself, the congregation, and the people in the neighborhood. It was a transformation for one single reason. She trusted that God had a future purpose. Lately, I'm coming to realize I have a problem communicating the faith to a faith-suspicious world. You see, most people read a story like Saul's conversion into Paul and ask, did that really happen, and how can you prove that it did? I don't know if it did, and I'm not sure it's worth the time proving. Actually, it's not. To me, the Bible is not some history book detailing events in a factual manner. It's a story of truth. The truth of how people walked and grew in their understanding of God, even when that understanding was confused. These stories of truth are shared, so when people find themselves in a crisis, they understand that transformation is possible. It is possible for those who trust God as a future purpose for them and for all creation. Did Saul's story happen exactly this way? I don't know, but I can tell you that the story gets played out every single day. Every single day, any one of us may find ourselves in a crisis moment, an unstable or crucial time in which a decisive change is impending. One, with the distinct possibility of a highly undesirable outcome. The biggest threat at any crisis point is sight. We are vulnerable to becoming blind to the future. Sometimes we don't see crisis as the moment of our transformation. Merriam-Webster also defines transformation as a thorough or dramatic change in form or appearance, and I would add outcome. When people in crisis trust God has a future purpose for them, scales fall away and they discover it was in the time before the crisis, when we often didn't understand our need of God, that we were blind. Struck by the crisis, a new sight is found, a sight we call hope. Daniel Maurer hit rock bottom in a jail cell in Williston, North Dakota. His lies exposed. He discovered his only way to a future was truth a truth that began with being honest. It was a long and painful process to discover honesty, but it led to recovery and then sobriety in the daily journey of recovery. From his pit of despair, Daniel emerged an acclaimed author. I'm reading his latest book, Endure. In it, he shares the stories of people from all walks of life and faiths. People have found transformation a thorough and dramatic change in form and appearance and outcome through a crisis, an unstable, crucial time in which a decisive change is impending, one with the distinct possibility of a highly undesirable outcome. He describes the book as this, an unprecedented look at how spirituality isn't just a nice, fluffy thing we believe in, but your own beliefs can genuinely affect your ability to bounce back after stress and trauma. Saul and Ananias are not mentioned in the book, at least not as far as I have gotten, but their story is alive in every page of it. Today, I am inviting you to discover this truth. Crisis is a point of transformation for those who trust God as a future purpose for you and for all creation. It's what changes their sight of despair and fear into a vision of hope.
0: And the first shall be last. And our eyes are open And we'll hear like never before And we'll speak in new ways And we'll see God's face In places we've never known Open my eyes me to see your face. Open my eyes, Lord. Help me
1: Let us pray. O Christ, you took upon yourself our humanity and you rose for us. You are the source of life. We ask for your goodness to be poured out upon us and upon the entire human family. Allow us to live by your life and walk as children of light in the joy of Easter. Increase the faith of your church. May it faithfully bear witness to the transformation which emerges out of crisis, a truthful witness to your resurrection. Comfort all who are burdened and grieve in their hearts for your words of eternal life. Strengthen those who are weak in faith and reveal yourself to doubting hearts. Give strength to the sick. Support the elderly. Reassure the dying by your saving presence and risen Christ. Through the gospel, your voice makes itself heard softly. You tell us, why worry? Only one thing is necessary a heart attentive to my words and to the Holy Spirit. Amen. may god who has brought us forth from death to life fill you with great joy and may almighty god the creator redeemer and sustainer of all life bless you
0: now and forever Amen. to, serve one another, to walk humbly with god